Hey everyone, please be advised that this episode contains discussions around spiritual abuse, religious trauma, and other sensitive topics. The content may be distressing or triggering for some individuals, so if you feel uncomfortable or find these discussions distressing, we invite you to prioritize your mental health and well-being and consider skipping this episode. This is the Touchy Subjects Podcast. My name is Erin Billings, and I am your host. In this episode, we are going to be talking about unmasking high control environments. And I have three wonderful guests, Dr. Janet Fox Peterson, Bree Hamilton, and Hilary Dahl. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. We are back and I have three lovely ladies that are here to talk about their experiences in a cult. This episode is going to be amazing. I cannot wait for you all to hear their stories. So we are going to jump right on in. We're gonna go in with introductions first because I want you to hear who they are, what they do. Bree, why don't I have you go first? Sure, thanks so much, Erin, for having me on the podcast. And I can't wait to share more of my story and hear from some others. I'm Bree. I'm a mama of four and a homesteader, and I live in Nova Scotia, Canada on the ocean. Very nice. And I grew up in a non-denominational cult, which you'll hear about later. And from that, I have created a coaching business, and I help to create community after toxic religion and support people through their deconstruction journey so that they can you know, show up confidently in their life and live life on their own terms. Thank you so much, Bree. I am excited to hear your story and I'm jealous that you're on the West Coast near the water. (laughs) I would love to be near water right now, but thank you for being here. Dr. Jan, I would love to have you go next. Hi there, and I'm delighted to be here as well. And I just returned to the Midwest, Wichita, Kansas, where I live, because I was out at the Pacific Northwest by water every single day. So I'm really missing that. Yes. <laughs> I really, and of course, I live right across the street from a river, so which is nice, but it's not quite the same. But my history is that I've given a lot of time to my profession. I was a school psychologist serving in a large urban public school for many, many years. But I got very involved in consulting and coaching in the last decade, over a decade. And in order for us to have healthy lives, connection and healthy relationships are everything. And yet we get very little training or education or even discussions about what does it take to live in a connected community and be in partnership with our coworkers or at home with our children or with our spouse and partners and friends. How do we make this work, especially when things get messy? Humans are messy. And so I provide coaching and mediation and teaching psychoeducational skills on how can we do better to get along in the world. I have a business, it's J Fox Mediation and Coaching, and I've been quite busy in this chaotic time. And I do have a cult story as well that I'll share when we get to that part of the podcast. So thank you, Erin. Thank you. Jan also has a podcast. It's called the Black and White Podcast, and it is very good. You guys should check it out. 
And thank you so much for being here and being willing to share your story. Okay, I have Hillary next, and Hillary's got a different story, and we'll get there in a second, but I'm excited for you guys to hear from her. Hillary, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are, what you do. Great, and thank you for holding space for me. My name is Hillary. I'm calling from Massachusetts, so I'm here as a full-time single parent. I'm just learning how to get my life going. I started working as a coach mainly with my business called Evolving Sobriety, where we look consciously at your habits, hiccups, and hangups to help get a better, deeper sense of self and independence with the, what that looks like. And I can't wait to share more of my cult story of everything that came with that. So thank you. Yes. So Hillary's story is probably a little bit different from Dr. Jan and Bree's stories, as hers is more spiritual than religious. But I was very intentional in choosing these three women because a lot of the people that are in the audience have gone from religious to spiritual. And with that in mind, a lot of what we see in the spiritual community is kind of the same crap that we see in church. So I just wanted to kind of give you some of a different lens for you to hear a story of. And so Hillary, I'm actually gonna have you go first okay. just so that they can hear what I'm talking about. It's, it's different, but it's very similar. Yeah, absolutely. So I was kind of attracted to this online guru, so to say, and based on love and relationships. So going into my story, I had just gotten out of a divorce and I was actually just exiting a abusive relationship. And I was really endlessly like in this directionalist life, uh, what it felt like raising my child on my own for the first time in a long time. And I was so confused and misdirected that I found this online group called Twin Flames Universe. And they work with individuals that are spiritually seeking and they're trying to seek answers on finding your true love. And so I decided to go into it because I didn't understand why I was experiencing the life that I had experienced so far with the abusive partners that I had. And my family support network wasn't around me. So here I was raising a child on my own and really neglecting myself. So I decided at the time where I was really unfamiliar with how to really take care of myself, I decided to go in this journey through Twin Flames Universe. And how they, how I really was attracted to them was I started watching YouTube to, so to say, program myself through Sephiria Tones, which is a healing frequency that people use through meditation or subliminal messaging through hypnosis. And I found them when they were talking about things like the laws of attraction and dark night of the soul. And here I was listening to these stories of these people explaining like, well, your ultimate lover is somebody that is like you, but this is like the same soul. And it just felt romantic and beautiful. And I was like, wow, this sounds amazing. And they were talking about shadow work in the dark night of the soul. And it, we were talking about like how your twin flame is like the opposite of you. And sometimes it comes with like this very compatible energy. And so you have to go within and look within yourself because if they're creating an upset, like if I'm upset about them, I have to go within myself and all of a sudden the world outside of me will change because it came with, I had a 
acknowledge like, oh, if I'm upset because he's cheating on me, I have to go within myself. Or if I'm upset, if he's being rude or physically abusive, then I have to go within myself to see where am I abusing myself? Where can I love myself here? And it was interesting when I learned about the mirror exercise, which is one of the tactics that they had. The more I got so involved with it, where I started buying their products because I just I felt that I was experiencing this very spiritual romantic pull of like, I was so desperate to find love. And I'm giving myself a lot more compassion now than I did previously, like years ago. The compassion for myself was understanding that I was in a spot where I was feeling a lot of denial for what I was going through. And I was really scared of what I was dealing with. And especially with the abusive relationships that I had and the people that were still kind of like inadvertently in my life. And I was just trying to find any way by any means necessary out now that I see it. But when I was involved with this Twin Flames Universe group, I bought their products and they saw that I was buying their products and they were trying to get me more involved with their online community. And I got to a place where I bought all of their products. So we're talking about $5,000 worth of products, maybe like going on to $6,000 worth of products that I got from them. And I became this you know, spiritual worker where in order to be in alignment with God, which was their, their theory, their theory was that if I wanted to be in Twin Flame Union, I needed to be in alignment with God. And if I was not in alignment with God, then I would be living in hell. And if I was living in hell, that I'd be based in fear. And then I would never be able to unite harmoniously with my true Twin Flame partner. And I believed it. There was so much of it that I believed. And it was so I just kept on doing it. And I started going online and doing what they called fishing. So I would go in their groups and I would go in also different Facebook groups to fish and find prospective clients and provide them opportunities to purchase the products. And when I would get sales, then I would give a stipend to Twin Flames Universe. Then they saw that I was doing so well. <laughs> they were like, well, then you can build your Twin Flame Ascension coaching group. And I'm like, that's fantastic. So here I'm raising in the ranks in this online group. We're building relationships. We're, you know, we're meeting each other outside of the online group. And we're talking to the head guru, which was his name was Jeff Aaron and his wife, Shalia, is how you pronounce her name. So you would have opportunities to meet them and greet them and be able to be blessed by them. <laughs> because then you're an ultimate, like you're ultimately in your heaven on earth if you get to meet these people. And that was such a big thing. <laughs> and so I would just try to sell and pitch and try to make sure that I would get their products and being able to get people in alignment into wanting to be in alignment on their heaven on earth, make it sound really great, make it sound really wonderful. And the more I got involved, the more money I was spending and I would get skittish and they were like, oh, you need to mirror that, Hillary. When I said that I didn't have enough money, they're like, oh, Hillary, you need to mirror that. So why don't you hire a coach and you can mirror that. We can work through it and give yourself that love that you desire so that you can start being back in alignment with God so you can start receiving the money that you desire. And I was like, oh, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then the more I would just get myself so indebted, I 
was attracting relationships where I thought, oh, great, I have something to post in the group. They can praise me. And I was getting the showers of affection from the group, the people that were like so happy and proud of somehow I was doing the good things that they were thinking that I was in my alignment. And the catalyst that got me out of it, where my responsibilities were getting so big, where I was supervising the groups, I was doing group leader meetings. And then I was also in charge of all their, you know, most of their social media accounts. I was doing their Hootsuite. I was making sure that things were getting scheduled out. And so a lot of the behind the scenes was like, there was group members that were, you know, there was this one woman that committed suicide because she felt like she was unable to be in alignment in her heaven on earth. And I remember Jeff, the cult leader, he dismissed it. Well, I guess that she's in her hell now, wow. you know, like just completely like just covered it up, didn't even address it to the group. And I started kind of wavering my faith in them when I was starting to feel a lot more experiences in my romantic relationships. I was in this relationship at the time when I was in the group and thinking that it was everything that they were telling me and going within, doing all the mirror work, trying to follow the steps. And I was still wondering why this person was you know, drinking as much as he was because he was an alcoholic. And I didn't understand why he was verbally abusive to me. And here I was doing the work and doing the mirror exercise. And I would go and talk to the groups and say, hey, can you give me some suggestions? What do you think I should do? They said, well, don't go and reach out to your family because they're living in hell. So they're not going to be able to help you. So like I basically excommunicated my friends and family completely befriended this whole group. So I was all friends with them. And I felt completely like on my own little island. And when I finally came to was after this physical abuse situation that I had with the partner that I was with when I was in the group. And I spoke to one of the coaches and I just was constantly just trying to work, work, work on myself, thinking that I just needed to heal or needed it because I I felt like I was not in alignment to what they were preaching to me. And the coach would do the mirror exercise and that he would tell me, well, Hillary, you understand that abuse isn't real. And here I'm telling him the story about like what happened to me and like how I was physically abused. And all of a sudden it just like this light shattered in my mind. And all of a sudden I'm like, this is nonsense. I can't, you know, like I just, everything about that just kind of shattered. And as soon as I came to that discernment of like, this is absolute horseshit. I don't know if I can swear, but anyways, like, <laughs> so, <laughs> like I just, I just, I, I left the group. I exited everybody. And thankfully I still had like some close friends, but the, like they were on the verge really teetering of like thinking like that I'm off my rocker. Like they were teetering, like exiting my life completely. The more that I look at it, I still have days where even now it's been like years since I've left the group. I finally started rebuilding my life to feel like it's not all up here in my mind that I have to like that there's this ultimate control and I'm no longer thinking like that I'm out of my hell or heaven. I'm like, whatever. (laughs) I'm just here. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I'm happy to be alive. You know, that's good enough for me. And then the other times is like when I'm trying to rebuild relationships now, I still kind of have that little 
switch that turns on that reminds me of this old way of thinking of like how I used to think when I was in the group altogether to kind of like if I have an issue with someone I look within myself and I've been working through that with my counselor because of I'm still deprogramming that part of me because it's not always like that. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. That story is just crazy. Every time I hear you talking about it, the fact that somebody committed suicide and they don't seem to care, that's just mind-blowing to me. But I'm so thankful you got out and that you're here sharing your wisdom with us. Bree, can I ask you to go next and share your story? Yeah, sure. I'm still like processing Hillary's story there, but thanks for sharing, Hillary. So, My parents were like Christians before I was born. My dad actually went to a Bible school called Emmanuel Bible College. It's in, I think, Kitchener, Ontario. And they were kind of part of like an evangelical version of Christianity. But then when I was about six years old, they had helped to found a Christian school outside of New Hamburg, Ontario. And they crossed paths with this pastor and his wife. And I don't know all of like what my parents thought process was or like what they were searching for. You know, I can only speak to like my own personal experience, but they were obviously searching for something different than what they were receiving in like what I would call like normal Christian spaces. (laughs) Yeah. Which like are problematic on their own as most of us can probably see now, but they were obviously searching for something. And we started going to this church at the time they were meeting in this pastor's house that's how small it was. It was just a few families. But as time went on, all of these families were like, had small children and were still having children. So the church started growing, other people started coming, and eventually they moved out of the pastor's house into a school gym. And we were there for like most of the rest of what my memory is. (laughs) The church was founded by a guy named Pastor Bailey in New York there was like the mother church was up in New York and he considered himself the prophet. A prophet, the prophet, doesn't matter. Everybody knew him to be a prophet. And then all the other like churches were sort of like branches off of that. And ours was one of those branches. So our pastor like answered to this guy, did whatever this guy said, but he only answered to God. (laughs) Oh boy. So, which is problematic, as we all know. Like, if you're not answering to anybody, that's just a problem. So, we were there from the time I was six, and I was in it for 20 years before I finally left. And when you grow up in that kind of environment like that, it's very formative. And especially when you're in it for 20 years, there's a lot of stuff to disentangle. And a lot of stuff that, like, because you're so young, you, like, think it's your own thoughts, but it's not. So that's been very interesting to navigate. But the church itself was very homeschool heavy. Most of the families had large families. Shiny, happy people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. One of the families that came to our church when I was a teenager were part of the whole ATI, IBLP. So we actually got pulled into that sort of a side thing. Watching that documentary was very familiar for me. Yeah. So there was a lot of kids in the church, a lot of homeschooling going on, a lot of, how do I say it? Like exclusion from the world. We didn't really know what was going on out there to be fair, (laughs) except that it was probably bad, right? Like that's just what we were told. Girls and women were very much at the bottom of the totem pole there. It was a big purity culture environment. 
And, you know, a girl basically was like submitting to her dad until her dad and future husband's dad and the pastor all agreed that you could court someone and then marry them. So it was definitely like stay at home daughter. Like you didn't really, you weren't really supposed to like go out and live on your own. You would be at home. The men in the situation would decide that you were allowed to court this person and then marry them. And then, you know, you would then be submitting to your husband. This sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too many men in control right. of my life. Yeah. Keep going. No, Sorry. That's, that's fine. I totally agree with you. And I got into a not great relationship when I was 20 because I was so desperate to get out that I literally like secretly packing for days before Well, my mom might have caught on. I don't know. My mom's kind of psychic. So she always knows that stuff's going on when you haven't told her. But I was getting ready to leave. Like I wanted to get out. And I felt like the only way I could do that was to sneak away. The day that I like actually left, they had all figured out what I was doing. And they had called the pastor and his daughter, who was, she's a bit older than me. So she's probably like 25, 26 at the time. Also, very brainwashed, very much a woman in the cult. So I give her a lot of grace now, but she came over and they were all like, you know, trying to like talk me out of going. And I had like completely to use like a biblical term, hardened my heart. Like I was like, Nope, I'm leaving. I'm not staying here. Nobody's talking me out of this. And they all like tried to talk me out of it. Lots of tears. And I was working a double shift that day at the diner. So like I had come home in between two work shifts and was like, totally blindsided by this whole situation. And so then I went back to work and that night I came back to the house and this guy and his friends came and picked me up and moved out. It was a very bad situation, but I was so desperate to just get out of this whole church family situation that I would have done whatever, you know, I ended up having a couple kids with this guy and actually marrying him, which was not a good situation. And by the time my second child was like eight months old, that relationship was over and I was like a single mom, but I'd pretty much been a single mom already. And I would say that like, I knew when I was pregnant with my first child, I just knew that like, I had to like step up and I I wasn't quite at the point of like understanding that I was deconstructing and I wouldn't even have said that I was like actively healing or anything, but I just knew in the situation, the relationship I was in, I was the only parent this child was going to have. And then I still married him because I had a child with him and thought that was the thing I should do. So it was actually a really great thing for us, ultimately, for that relationship to end and for me to be on my own. But of course, that didn't last long because I had not healed that part of myself yet. And so I I jumped very quickly into another relationship Mm -hmm. and had another child. So those are my older three. They're like 16, 13 and 11 now. And they're you don't like, look old enough to have that old children. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I was very young when I had my first. I mean, I wasn't a teenager, but I had just turned 21. So, you know, looking back, young Bray was very brave and overcame a lot of stuff. Because I was in and out of the church then, I would say, from the time I was like 20 to 26, I kept like getting pulled back as if it was like a toxic relationship. But one of the big, I think, turning points for me, like big moments, was... And I've literally never shared this publicly 
on social media because my kids are all on my social media. <laughs> They're very sweet and supportive. But while I was pregnant, I was eight months pregnant and my mom had sort of gotten over things from when I told her I was pregnant. Like I very much got ostracized, lost everybody. Nobody talked to me. I wasn't allowed to like hang out with my siblings, be alone with my siblings because I probably had demons attached to me or something. It was very like a spiritual reason for them, right? Like that I would rub off on them or something. <laughs> my mom had like gotten over whatever and she had been spending time with me again and like helping me buy baby clothes and things like that. And we had been like setting things up in my little apartment and they took me to New York because our church's pastor, his son was getting ordained and I'd always liked his son. He was like eight or nine years older than me. So I wasn't like really close with him, but he was always nice. So we went up for this ordination ceremony to the church in Jamestown and Pastor Bailey, the prophet, as you remember, was there doing the ordination. But I had no idea that they had this like plan in place that they were going to pull me into the pastor's office and talk to me. Now, my pastor that I grew up with, the one from our branch, was not there. So it was just the prophet and his assistant and my parents. So I was totally blindsided, but they were basically telling me that they believed I needed to give this baby up for adoption because I needed to get back onto God's path for me. And the only way for me to do that was to disentangle myself from this man who was, you know, her biological donor and that I could then get back to what I was supposed to do with my life, which is go to Bible college and, you know, marry a pastor or an evangelist or something. And like, okay, eight months pregnant. Hello. Hormones for one thing. And also I felt like the floor had been pulled up from underneath me because I did not expect this from my mom. I learned later that they had been chipping away at her for months before she finally gave in and was like, okay, I think this is the right thing. And to her credit, I can see why she agreed to it because the guy I was with was not a healthy relationship. And I know that she thought that I would be better off not being connected to him. However, how they went about it was totally horrible. And then there was like a little dinner thing after at somebody's house. And I was just like bawling this entire time. And then I cried all the way back to Ontario. <laughs> and the next day I called my boyfriend at the time's parents to come pick me up and take me up to their place. Cause I just like needed to get away from wherever my mom and dad were. <laughs> so I had time to like process through. And I mean, I knew in the moment I wasn't going to go through with that. I had already made that decision. This child was mine and that was it. And so when I went back and then our actual pastor came and talked to me about it in a much nicer way, I might add, but I had already made the decision. Like, it's fine if they want to talk at me, but I'm not going through with this. That was like a real big moment for me. Like when I look back at things, like it still took me a while to disentangle myself from the church entirely, but that was a, a pretty big piece of it for me. And it's something that stuck with me, obviously. It, it was a pretty big thing. And my 16-year-old is awesome, by the way. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. And that sucks that they would, like, essentially stage an intervention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it was. In the disguise of a New York trip. Right. <laughs> like, 
parents at home, just be straight up with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disguise little vacations as interventions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pro tip, not from a non-parent. <laughs> so, but I, I'm I'm so glad you were able to get out and that your kids are happy and healthy and supportive. That's wonderful to hear. So thank you for sharing. We'll, I'm sure, talk a little bit more and go a little bit deeper here in a moment. Dr. Chan, I would love to hear your story. Well, I am just sitting here thinking that all human beings need voice, belonging, and agency. And so any of these cults that disconnect you from your own intuition, your own ability to have a heart, to feel, to think, to have your sense of self and beliefs, anything that disconnects you from agency and voice and belonging is going to have some cult features. And so I'm just sitting here thinking these cults are everywhere. And I never dreamed that when I came out of the cult, which it was kind of a like one of my oldest children, she's an associate dean at a college. Now I have my kids are way more adult than I am, but she's like, I've just never heard of people going to college and then you all join cults. I mean, that's just kind of what was going on back then because it was such love, peace and rock and roll and all of that. And people were looking for a place to belong and some structure to their lives. And so the response to that then, well, boy, we better come in with the heavy guns and get everybody corralled and put God in a box and put everybody else in a box. But I never dreamed coming out of that that I would be seeing at such a large scale cult-like behavior at a large scale. And I think all these stories are so important because I see the extreme, what Hillary has experienced. That is what you would consider more of a left, you know, more liberal, progressive way of being, but it's extreme. So the extreme on the right, it just converges all into one. And it's none of it is healthy for functioning human beings who want to thrive in their lives. And so within the shepherding movement, it started in Fort Lauderdale with four really charismatic men, Don Basham, Derek Prince, Charles Simpson, Bob Mumford. Charles Simpson is still in the ministry. And they were seeing all this chaos and many ministers, just like they are today, back then they were falling by the wayside, having affairs, all this stuff. And rather than looking at the root of what was actually going on and creating all this mess, let's just corral everybody. And it became the shepherding movement. And it was really based a lot on the shiny, happy people, the Bill Gothard background, women and children had no voice, no rights, no nothing. Men dominated, but it wasn't healthy for men either. And, you know, dominant men really fit in there. But, you know, the men that were very much more in touch with their femininity and their masculinity, where did they fit? I mean, it was just a horrible controlling mess for everyone and did tremendous damage. And the hardest thing for me in dealing with it is that they started a private school and we put our kids in that private school thinking that we were going to provide a nurturing community for them. And it was horrible. I had the sweetest children. The last thing needed was this hardcore discipline. It was all about submission. You know, the typical cult world that you are to submit to your authority. I mean, it's very authoritarian, very militaristic. And on the outside, it was all about love, supposedly, but it really ended up being very top down. All the money went to the top. The main pastor where I was in San Antonio, Texas, ended up having an affair with a woman 
and he was getting ready to marry them, this couple, and she confessed to her fiancé that she'd had an affair with that very pastor that was going to marry them. And so the whole thing, just one after the other, it just absolutely fell apart. An unexamined life is just a life not worth living. So you come out of these situations that you realize you wake up one day uh, and it's very painful to wake up because you did have a place of belonging. You thought you had a place of nurturing, a place to land, a foundation, and then it's like a rug being pulled out from underneath you. You feel like you're jumping off a cliff and you don't know where you're going to land because you had this security within that cult and family-like atmosphere seemingly that started out probably good intentions, but man's ego gets in the way and just really wreaks havoc. What I see is like I have very few friends left over from that cult, even though we were very tight. But what I see them still following, even though they left the cult, the cult didn't leave here or here. And I don't want to stand in judgment of anyone. That's not my point. But it's like, we've got to examine why it is we were drawn into it, what were the factors that drove it and made it so successful as long as it was, and then what do we do really to heal and then help others to be resilient coming out of such a toxic situation. So the shepherding movement, very similar to what Brie described, women no rights. In fact, I just was a young mother and I wanted to teach some swimming lessons and they said no because it's not supporting the church. I mean, that's just how controlling it was. And so we were never quite happy within that. I was married 42 years. We're friends now, but we did divorce. That situation was so toxic. So any issues that you had going on already, and both of he and I dealt with attachment issues, all kinds of things that we understand now that we didn't understand then. And so it just made everything within our relationship more toxic than it needed to be. And we just couldn't quite recover from that and some other traumas we experienced. And so the good news, though, that we both have bounced back I have a wonderful partner that you have met, Aaron, and the father of my children has a wonderful partner. So we're doing really well now. And so resilience and not letting your experience define you, but then also just to be supportive of other people, to learn discernment, to listen to your own intuition. We're so disconnected from how we really feel and think from our own hearts and cults discourage you from being an independent thinker. So there's just some real red flags that we really need to open up a huge discussion about to help people avoid it in the first place. And then once they wake up and realize they're caught up into this chain, this prison, how are you going to best recover, move forward, and live the life you're intended to live? Thank you for sharing. That is a perfect segue into the next portion of what we're going to talk about, which is a lot of those red flags. You know, whenever you hear the term high control, as in a high control environment, which is often described as a cult, what comes to mind? Bree, would you like to go? Yeah, sure. High control for me is like usually there's a power dynamic in place, which means that like people at the top are benefiting from controlling those underneath them. So it makes it difficult for folks to say no to things such as like serving within the community for free usually. (laughs) And I mean, like 
I saw my mom, you know, put herself out in a capacity that she didn't have. I mean, she had nine kids. Like she was already maxed out, you know, like in her regular life, she was already maxed out, but like she couldn't say no to serving because, you know, God said so. And so, and I think also like giving your money to the church, I feel like that comes from a high control place because you're basically being told that if you don't tithe, you're not going to be blessed by God, right? You're going to be poor. You're not going to be financially abundant, all these things. And I also see this in the spiritual community and have a lot of thoughts about the correlations between those things. But yeah. And then also like what I experienced in a high control environment was, especially as a kid and a teen and a young adult, was the control over like literally all these small little things in your life. Like if you were going to buy a car, you know, you would go and talk to the pastor about it. If you were going to get a job, you would go and talk to the pastor, but like all these little things that, that most people like outside of these situations, when I've told them this, it just like is mind boggling to them. Like, why would you ask your pastor for permission (laughs) to buy a car or to get a job? But yeah, there was lots of situations like that. And so to me, high control is just very like granular, like all these tiny little things in your life aren't really your choice. You're not allowed to decide them for yourself. And definitely I saw a disparity, obviously, between the things boys were allowed to decide and girls were allowed to decide and do. But overall, there was still control over, you know, kids in general being allowed to, like, just go get a part-time job or whatever. You would still have to, like, clear it with your parents and then the pastor and everybody would have to be on board. Hillary, question for you, because yours is more on that spiritual side, kind of what Brie was talking about. In the Twin Flame universe, did they control who you dated? Did they control, like, did you have to get permission for that kind of thing? Well, so luckily I left the group before they actually started that process. Yeah. You got out. (laughs) I'm actually, it's interesting because when I started seeing it afterwards, because I still have a group of friends that also were excommunicated and left Twin Flames universe, and they somehow know some of the details of what's going on right now, where it's primarily women that main Twin Flame universe, like online portal that you can go and communicate to others. And there was a point a few years back where we were kind of, discussing and noticing that the group leader, Jeff, was leading the women and sometimes even gay men, you know, just specifying like when he was noticing they weren't getting into harmonious union, it wasn't being successful, their products weren't being successful. And so they were discussing, and this is what I heard from the back end, (laughs) it's good to be a fly on the wall, so to say, their unions weren't being successful. And so Jeff started noticing this and was bringing attention to women that were working really well together through their coaching groups. And with his ultimate knowledge, he was able to bless one of the women in a way of saying, oh, well, I see them as your true twin flame. I was incorrect with this reading. And this woman is your true twin flame, the divine masculine. And So then he would start coaching them to start embodying what the divine masculine looked like. And then 
he would bless the union so that they would be paired together. And then the woman that was the divine masculine would then have to, in order to stay in alignment with the group and stay in alignment with their heaven on earth and be practicing what they were preaching. You know, there's women that are in the group now that have now transitioned into men that have changed their pronouns, changed their names, have gone through gender reassignment surgery to be in their divine union with us paired up woman that Jeff gave their permission like you know like oh this is the person this is your person you know you just can't make this crap up no <laughs> like i'm just watching brie and jan's faces like oh my god yeah. <laughs> which that's like this is literally the definition of high control and as dr jan said we have to really know what the red flags are that scream, hello, this is a cult. So Dr. Jan, I would love to ask you, you know, what are the red flags that people should be looking for, whether it is a religious context, a spiritual context, uh, an MLM, I don't know. Well, <laughs> Some of those are cultic, like too. Tendencies of high control with people are everywhere in society, whether it be a bureaucracy, business industry, it is everywhere. And so the good news is there's so many experts out there giving us tools and skills. How do you deal? Just how do you deal? I don't really like a lot of labels like narcissism that's thrown out every time we turn around, it feels like, whereas high control Anytime you have that, I mean, that person is going to have some narcissistic tendencies, but it's really birthed out of fear. And so we're afraid of what's going to happen. So I've got to take all control. And it's very authoritarianism. I mean, it's just a top down. Once, you know, you get seasoned in looking for red flags, whether it's in a relationship or with a parent or whoever that you're dealing with, there's just a lot of information out there to help. But high control really is a number one big flag because people need, like I said, that belonging agency and voice. And really what we want to do with our young people is to empower them to be fully who they were created and intended to be. But what's happening is we want to mold them and shape them in what we think they should be. And it's such a balance because if we have individualism completely out of control, then we're neglecting the needs of the whole community. I mean, it's a balance between community, having compassion for myself while I hold compassion for others and looking bigger than just my own little individual life. But I think, Erin, you just hit it on the head. The number one red flag is high control. And then just the other thing is, where am I in my own life? And what really to be in tune, what am I needing right now? What am I feeling? Like when I got involved in the cult, my family had imploded and I was looking, I was starving, just craving connection and community. I didn't have a church. I wasn't raised in a church. That's a whole nother story of the Christian science religion early on in my life, but we all broke away from that. I didn't have tight relationships with family or anybody. And so, and even back then, I would never even thought about going to a therapist. So I think that's part of the issue. There's so much wealth and rich information from neuroscientists, from neuropsychologists, from good therapists. I mean, therapy is like any profession. There's some very poor ones, just like coaches. There's great coaches and then there's poor coaches. But to really connect 
within yourself is so important. And if you're not doing that and letting somebody else dictate how you live your life, whether it's a marriage or it's a cult in the church or it's in a business, life is short. And I'm telling you, at my age, I am so aware of that. And so we got to live life fully. And the only way I know to do that is to move from an unconscious state of being where they either focus on the past or the future to a conscious state of being where we are in the here and now. And the here and now is just stepping back. What am I needing? What am I feeling? And having compassion for that while I have compassion for what the other is needing and feeling. So it's just twofold to me. I I think high control and then just where you are in your own personal space, being willing to stop, pause, be in the moment, and really reflect on what it is that you're needing and what is driving how you're living your life. I think that's very well said. Do either of you, Hillary or Bree, have anything to add? I just wanted to like go off of something that Jan said earlier. Well, like in that section of, of what she was just saying, but she talked at the beginning of it about molding our children. And that's definitely something that I saw in my parents. And I mean, they're being told also like that they needed to do that. But the reason why it was so difficult for my parents to navigate some of us leaving and the church basically telling them, you know, that we were like sinners and backsliders and whatever, that they had to put up a boundary of like basically having nothing to do with us was because they felt that they had failed. Mm -hmm. And like, I wish they could see like, no, actually, in spite of all of that crap, you raise kids with critical thinking skills somehow. And they (laughs) were able to just see it maybe sooner than you did. (laughs) But that's been something for me, becoming a mom, and I have a nine month old now also. So going back through that like early stage again, much later, has been very interesting to me because like when I first started becoming a parent, I was parenting from a very unconscious place. Like Jan said, like I really, I hadn't thought about any of it, you know? So like when I had my older two, I started off spanking them because I had no conscious thought around it at all. It was just like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. And by the time they were four and almost two, that had completely shifted. I had thought outside of what I had always been told And I realized like, no, like I'm not molding these belongings because they don't belong to me. I'm just here to help guide them through life and give them all the skills so that they can think for themselves, make decisions for themselves and be, you know, really great functioning adults who, you know, see me as a friend, a partner in life or whatever later on down the road. And I feel like I've done a pretty good job of that. I definitely don't think I'm perfect at it, but it's definitely like a more positive experience for my kids versus like the high control that I experienced growing up. You hit something really well that I think is a common theme is that high control environments take away our ability to think for ourselves. It's that critical thinking part. And even in church, a lot of times they want us to have Borg mind, as I, as as my mother would call it, and you know everybody has that Borg mentality, and it's very similar in the church, and that's kind of where we have to find the line between the occult and a religion, or a cult 
and spirituality because it's in both areas and religion and spirituality are so similar yet so different. But where is that line for you guys? Hillary, where's the line for you between a cult and a spiritual group? So the line for me, and I have to kind of piggyback on some of the things the ladies were saying, just having that sense of reestablishing yourself and understanding those boundaries and confidently really fine-tuning your own decision-making after being in such high-control environments really helped me see the clear line between spirituality and cults because, you know, now that things are really clear where being able to kind of, I can now choose, I can now make a conscious choice of what feels good for me without getting so enmeshed in it. So being able to build that sense of confidence and that power within me to know that I do have this choice and reminding me that I have the choice to making the decision on how spiritual like I want to go or, you know, so that I don't get enmeshed into something that might be unhealthy for me. So the fine line was that, you know, kind of going by what Jen was saying, you know, here you've established yourself, but the fine line between like cults and spirituality is that you're just not diving in. You're giving yourself the opportunity to breathe and be in the moment and giving yourself that confidence and discernment because, you know, I do agree, you know, we have that ability of wanting to have that connection and, you know, being able to be with people that are like-minded in some way, but to know where your power is and like your power for yourself is like, it comes with that conscious choice and discernment that you personally have to say like, okay, this is good for me. This isn't good for me, you know? And that's how I see where the line is. No, I I think that's really well said. Bree and Dr. Jan, what do you guys think about the line between cult and religion? Oh, I totally agree with what Hillary was saying in that love is never about coercion. And a fine line for me is if it's not voluntary, if I don't have a choice, no. For me, that is it's very much about how Hillary described that, it having a choice. And for me, that's where it's at. If it's anything but voluntary and empowering, it's not going to work for me. So that's, I think that Hillary did a great job of describing that delineation. I agree. Bree, do you have anything to add? Yeah, like I would echo what they both just said. I think that if somebody else is driving, and you're just along for the ride, then it's not a personal connection. So for me, like, they were always talking about this growing up about how like, oh, we're spiritual, not religious, but like, obviously, on the other side of them, like, no, no, we're completely religious. (laughs) All there was was like, written on unwritten rules and regulations that had to be followed in order for you to like get to heaven or whatever, right? So I feel like spirituality, because I don't really like the word religion, some people are fine with it. But I think it's sacred. And I think it's a personal experience. And like how somebody else practices their spirituality has nothing to do with me. As long as I am receiving what I need to get for my connection to the divine or nature or however it is that I experience that sacredness is just my own personal experience. And like as a coach, when I'm coaching people through deconstruction and healing, I'm not telling them how to experience spirituality or where to land on the spiritual journey even because everybody lands in a different spot and it's exactly right for them. 
Right. I totally agree. I tell everyone deconstruction is a spectrum and where you land on it is none of my business. I'm just here to help you get access to resources and tools to be able to heal so that you can make that decision in your own agency and in your own power. That's really important to me. I'm going to skip ahead to my last question, which is what advice would you give someone that is trying to get out of a high control environment right now? Any takers? Well, it's traumatic and just, you know, accept that it is traumatic, but it's not the end of the world. But we are not intended to go through this life alone. In fact, it's impossible to try to heal and walk through something in isolation. So my advice is to find like-minded people, maybe some folks that are just a few steps ahead and really get the support, a place where you can share what you're going through, process it, also, you know, with a goal in mind of working through it, but just to accept we all do the best we can. And it's great when you finally do see the light that you really need to shift and make some changes, but it's all about forward movement. But the only way we really can do that well is if we're linked arm in arm, walking through it together. You can't take this journey alone because it is too tough. It's just too tough. But there is certainly light at the end of the tunnel. I wholeheartedly agree. Hillary or Bree? Have anything to add? Yeah, so that was beautiful, Dr. Jen. And for what advice is, I feel the education, like giving yourself that self-education with understanding what, what covert abuse looks like, what, you know, external abuse looks like, but covert abuse is big to understand. And I feel that education can help really empower you to finding resources and people that can really guide and direct you in safety measures to really seeing that maybe there might be something more to what you're experiencing and that you can get yourself out of it and finding a safety plan depending on what the high control situation looks like because from my experiences finding a safety plan is a very internalized process because you don't want to give yourself away that could put you in more danger. So learning and educating yourself and then finding safety people so that you can find an easy exit strategy that looks good and healthy for yourself and your family, I feel like is the best advice I can give anybody. I agree. A good exit plan does a lot of good for a lot of people. (laughs) Bree, do you have any advice for anybody trying to get out of a high control environment? Yeah, I think It's maybe sometimes hard to give people advice when they're still inside because we don't always know where they are at and we don't want to make a situation more complicated if somebody is actually like thinking about leaving but has not made that public knowledge. But I feel like if somebody is listening to this and is still on the inside and I say it like that because it's kind of like being in a prison, but it's really dangerous. If you just need like that final push to like take the steps, I really like what Hillary just said, like knowing your particular environment, how dangerous it is for you to talk about leaving or to make steps towards leaving. You know, for me, I felt like I had to sneak away because I didn't know how people were going to react. And so I think just making sure that you have safe people to go to, you have somewhere that you can go and you have some resources and support. So if there's a way for you to, you know, access that information on the computer or something without outing yourself so that you have people to help you navigate it afterwards. One thing I know for me, and I'm sure for lots of people, the biggest reason why we stay as long as we do is because we know we're going to lose everybody. 
we know we're going to lose that community and that connection. And like for people like me, those are people that we have known our entire life. <laughs> and I just want people to know that there are people out here that have gone through similar things that you can connect with, that you can find your people out here that can hold space for you, believe in you, love you, and you can create your own community outside of the church. I think you all three had wonderful advice. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your wisdom. If you want to connect with Dr. Jan or Bree or Hillary, you can go to our show notes and there will be links for you to find them on social media or their websites. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this episode. I know that if anybody is out there listening that is trying to get out of this kind of situation, know that you can go to these three women and they might be able to help you find a way out of your situation. Until next time, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Touchy Subjects podcast. If you would like more information about what we do and who we are and how you can get involved, check out our website, www.letstalktouchysubjects.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Let's Talk Touchy Subjects. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.